the body in a comfortable position or and you cannot change All the right. situation. Yeah. Okay, so I'll I'll turn the recording on and we can can talk about that. There's various things that we can look at. And the um the first one that I would like to mention <clears throat> is how valuable it is to do the breathing through the nose. That in fact I I bet that you would say that part of the discomfort of having COVID is, is that you can't breathe well. And that's because of either congestion in the chest or congestion in the throat or congestion in the nasal cavities, um, someplace like that. And so the first thing that we can do is we can actually take the effort to clean out the congestion. And that then there are some things to do. This is part of uh, the medicine uh, aspect that the monks should have enough medicine and that uh, there is an old technique that comes from India that has to do with warm, salty water, not hot water, but just warm, salty water. It's warm to the touch. Um, and uh, you take the warm, salty water and put it into the cup of the hand. And then you would hold the nose with one finger and breathe it in. And then the other finger on the other side of the nose and strongly pull in the, uh, the warm salt water. Now, if you don't have any salt, any water will do. But adding both the warmth and the salt is is good, and it has a antihistamine um, property to it. That in fact, one of the reasons why people enjoy going to the beach is because the salt air helps them breathe better, and they don't even know it. And so, working to get the congestion out is a good thing to do. And uh, uh, we can work in both directions in the sense of pushing it out forcibly and then pulling it in forcibly. And by doing that um, rep uh, in repetition while using the warm, salty water, so you'd, so you'd take in the water and then you'd breathe in and take it. We can pull the stuff from the back of the head down into the throat like that and then pull and that way we can get a lot i just swallowed it because it's okay to swallow that uh stuff but most people would want to uh, uh remove it with um, tissue or whatever but you can pull a lot of the congestion out but don't expect it to happen right away that in fact um, after you pull a lot of congestion out, the congestion will still be there, but it'll rearrange itself over a few minutes. That so you'll find it all of a sudden, one of the nasal passages that was blocked now is cleared up. And what a relief that is. I mean, that's almost a time for joy is to have one of the nostrils unclog or unblock itself. And it normally in sickness, uh, both of them are affected, but one generally more than the other. And so the one that's the cleanest is the one that we want to clean first. 
and then because it's possible that you can't even take any uh, water into a nostril because it's just so clogged up. And so you put the water in the other nostril and perform that um, function of taking it in and then also forcibly exhaling it also. And by doing that several times, we actually can clean up the nasal passages. Now, here's something kind of important, and that is, is that air, even in a paradise, is dirty. And the whole mechanism of the nose was designed to warm the air and to clean the air. And so a lot of people, when they get sick and can't breathe through the nose, they will continue or they'll just continue to breathe, but they'll breathe through their mouth, not recognizing that that's the worst thing to do. Mm -hmm. Because now the dirt in the air is getting right into the lungs and causing the lungs to have even more congestion. So the way to have the congestion come out of the lungs is by making sure that the nasal passages are clean. And this is an important point for meditators that, in fact, uh, this technique that I've given you, this uh, breathing technique, actually has a, a Hindi name. It comes from India. They've been doing this for a long, long time, long before uh, the pharmacy had uh, antihistamines for sale. We've ha we got it right here if we would just use it. But instead of shoving something up the nose, uh, for the antihistamine uh, drug, we can actually just breathe it in. And so uh, filling up one nostril and then sucking that water, that warm salty water in, will really, really break up the congestion and also bring whatever colors that are there. Normally the coloring that is there will be one of two types. One, it'll be the dirt that the lungs uh, didn't have to deal with. And the other one is, is that it might be a kind of mucus that has a lot of yellow in it. And that means that there's a war going on. And the war is between the bacteria and the white blood vessels. And when the white blood vessels die, that's what causes the, the pus or the, uh, the mucus that turns yellow. And so be aware of the color of it. If it actually is yellow and persists to be yellow over a day or two, I would recommend to go to a doctor. Mm. But if it stays just yellow and uh, uh, somewhat watery, that uh, the more you perform this, the more watery the mucus will become because you're putting a lot of warm salt water in there and the salt grabs a hold of the water and whatnot. And so bringing that up and, and uh, breathing it in and then throwing it back out is a really, really good practice. To, uh, and I would recommend it even if your nose is not stopped up, that before you start practicing sitting meditation or Anapanasati, that would be one of the things to do is to make sure that the, that the, the, the nostrils are clean. like that okay is first you breathe in very hard and and pull it in to the back and then you suck it all down from the back into the uh the throat and then you your option is to either swallow it or uh, uh or spit it out 
Uh, and we would do that a couple of times. Ah, and then I can breathe even better. Even though I didn't have any trouble breathing, by doing that, it makes the breathing even more open. It's a very comfortable thing to do is to feel good that your nasal passages are open and functioning correctly. Okay, so that's that's the one thing that we can do. But that's not going to cause or, or let us say alleviate all of the uncomfortableness. That in fact, uh, this might require some effort and persistence to get the nasal passages cleaned out. And if you do, that's really, really valuable for the body. But guess what? It's going to clog back up again. Now, the point about that is, is that, oh, it clogged up again. Then why bother to clean it out? The answer to that is, is that if you had not cleaned it out and it got clogged again, then it's double clogging. And so it's better to just continue to clean it out every time that you recognize or remember that you're not breathing well through the nose, then go ahead and, and perform whatever ceremonies or rituals that you need to do <laughs> to get a, a breathing passage that's open. And that's especially valuable when you're sick, because when we're sick and we can't breathe through the nose, then we're breathing through the mouth and that's not comfortable any either. And so we wind up not breathing very well when we're sick, which is exactly opposite of what we really do need to do, because that air is what uh, we're going to need uh, in order to cure the sickness. To put that oxygen in the bloodstream so that it could do its job. And so. Um, it's kind of important for us to get the navel passages all cleaned out and then really enjoy a breath or two of how nice it is to have everything cleaned out and, and working. Mm -hmm. So uh, then we have to start working on that. That's not going to be all of the discomfort, but one of the values of um, being sick is that at least it gives us permission at that point to not have to do anything. Oh, I feel too bad to get up and go to work. All right. And so now we can relish in the excuse that I'm so sick, I don't have anything to do. I'm so sick, I couldn't possibly move. I have to just lay here and be sick. I'm out of it. Ha ha. And so we can actually enjoy being sick. That Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa talks about it in the sense of um, when we are ill, when we are sick, when we are congested, that's a really good opportunity to practice. Especially if we're already skilled. I wouldn't recommend all of this for brand new beginners. I would say uh, for those who haven't done any Anapanasati, I would talk about the, the technique of getting the nose clean, but they don't have the skills then to operate uh, and <clears throat> practice correctly while they're sick, because the mind is already in the state that when the body is sick, then we don't feel good. And if we don't feel good, then our thoughts are not um, beneficial, that we don't like it. 
And so we fall into a state of not liking mentally and the mind gets dull. What we're going to practice instead is actually enjoy being sick, enjoy experiencing the body, enjoy looking at what the body is doing, finding all the aches and pains in the body, and then loving them, nourishing them. Everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to be fine. It's okay that I'm sick. That means I don't have to go anyplace or do anything. And I can just lay here and entertain myself with this toy of a sick body. And so we can play with it, experiment with it, find out where it is sick. Is it only in the congestion of the nostrils? Can you feel any of the congestion in the, in the chest? That in fact, you can pull that stuff out. And the way to do it is by breathing deeply until you can uh, detect somehow, feel it, uh, any gurgling that has to do with any congestion in there. And then you can get a, a handle on that so that you can then cough in a way, intentionally watching the coughing to pull that stuff out so that you can exhale it also and get, and get the chest also cleaned out. Um, that chest congestion was one of the things that um, was a remarkably close interconnected thing to COVID when COVID first came out and so many people were dying was because not of the COVID itself directly, but because of congestion. And when the lungs get congested, there's a name for it. It's called pneumonia. Mm. And pneumonia People die from it on a regular basis simply because they don't know how to breathe. They don't know what they're doing and they don't understand that all of this mucus in their lungs can be changed with right effort. And so uh, beginning to clean the body, clean the lungs out, taking this congestion out over and over and over again Every time that you do that will lessen the likelihood of it becoming pneumonia. Now, no, what pneumonia actually is, is when the whole, when the lungs begin to fill with all kinds of stuff that is associated with water. But it's not just water. It's, it's mucus and it's dead cells and it's all kinds of stuff that's accumulated, including carbon dioxide because the lungs are not expelling the carbon dioxide well, it gets stuck with the water and causes an acid in the chest, a carbonic acid. You've heard of, of acid rain, no doubt, or you know about carbonic acid, okay? What is carbonic acid? It's carbon dioxide and water mixed together, and that forms an acid. So the more of the water that we can exhale from the lungs, uh, like just just starting to cough it up, but I mean specifically to take the action, the intentional action of coughing so that you can find that stuff and then exhale it. <coughs> wow, I got a bunch of stuff out of the lungs just then. Okay. And so you can practice that and take that stuff out of the lungs, get them cleaned out.
that there's always mucus in there, just even when we're healthy. But when we're sick, there's even more so. And that's a real surprise for a lot of people that when they get sick, it forms acid in the chest, which is uncomfortable and we don't like it. We don't know why it feels so bad, but it does feel really good. I just did it. And it feels really good now that my lungs are actually cleaned out, that I pulled out maybe a half an ounce of stuff with the, with the process of, of intentionally coughing it up. Finding out where it is and then pulling it out of the lungs and spitting it out is a major relief. And now I got my, lungs, my nose all free, the sinuses are free, the chest is free, and wow, breathing is really good now. And that's the way that we would practice when we're sick, is to get the, uh, the lungs as free and get the stuff out as best we can. So the next thing then is to start operating with what's left of that, which is just the feeling of tired, the feeling of, oh, the feeling of, I can't do anything. Well, if we're breathing well, we'll get rid of some of that tiredness. We're actually uh, oxygenating the body and throwing the carbon dioxide out. We're actually rebalancing the pH of our body through the breathing, as well as uh, getting rid of the tiredness. The reason why we feel tired when we're sick is because even though we're not pumping iron with the muscles, the white blood cells are at war with whatever disease we have inside, and that a lot of the oxygen is, is used up for uh, that fight, and so we wind up being oxygen depleted, and that gives us a feeling and a sense of tired. And so by intentionally breathing well and intentionally taking in the oxygen, that's going to help us, even though the body is sick, it doesn't have to feel quite so tired. So we can work with uh, uh, or play with this to get that situation done. And we can do this from time to time, uh, three, four, five, six times a day. It would be good to, uh, to do this. In fact, we can, uh, if you're practicing 10 minutes, six times a day, then this would be the first two or three minutes you would spend in cleaning the things out. So that you feel good and then after deep breathing a bit you don't feel nearly so tired and you say wow i actually feel better through anapanasati it makes me feel better especially if we're thinking about that that's what's going on but if we think oh i'm so sick oh i'm so tired oh i don't like this oh i feel so bad guess what the body feels even worse and the mind and the body work together to make each one each together feel even worse mm -hmm. so we're going to reverse that and get the body and the mind and the feelings re-engineered so that hey i actually like being sick it gives me a new toy to play with that i can play with uh, uh expelling the stuff in the nose i can uh, experiment with um um what do they call it uh, antihistamines Figure out which antihistamine, if you buy them, which ones work best or is, in fact, the salt water even better than the antihistamine. So we could play with that. And that gives us a whole new attitude about being sick. 
Now, there's another item that's on the list. In the old days, two years ago, uh, and even still continuing today, the death rate is very high for people who have not been vaccinated. And so uh, getting vaccinated before you get sick is a very, very good idea. But once you've got COVID, there is always that fear element of old things could get a lot worse and I might die, right? Because people die on a regular basis with it, but they die with that attitude that it's really dangerous. But if you have the attitude, oh, there's nothing to do this, all I have to do is just keep breathing. Because people, when they die from COVID, they don't die from COVID itself. They die from lack of breathing. That in the beginning, they put people on ventilators. And that was the danger. And part of the problem with the ventilators is that they had people laying on their backs in a hospital bed. And they do that. <clears throat> Hospitals are notorious for having their patients lay on their back which is not a good idea if you've got respiration difficulties. The best thing to do is to lay on your side because if you're on your back, the lower part of the back has the, the lungs that are very close to the surface of the skin. If we're laying on our back, we're actually compressing our lungs without knowing it. If we lay on our chest, then the opening of the chest to breathe is more difficult. We can't breathe well if we're on our, our chest. But if we're laying on our left side or laying on our right side, then that will give the, the, the lungs a chance to open even though we're laying down. But if, you, if you're not too tired, then sitting up and getting back upright is the best for the lungs. Mm. Is, to, is to sit up uh, and um, and enjoy the breathing. Now, when they put people on ventilators in the hospital, the, the thing that they recognize is that once somebody goes on the ventilator, the likelihood of them coming off the ventilator is not high and that they need that ventilator in order to continue to breathe. The problem is, is that while they're on the ventilator, they're getting more and more and more fluid in the lungs the capability of breathing becomes more uh, difficult because of the ventilators. And so the better thing to do is, is to work with expelling the congestion. And don't worry about dying because you're not going to die because you're still breathing. Mm -hmm. And that you can prove that you're breathing because you can really take in a deep breath because you've expelled so much of that congestion. And so that takes care of the fear factor, which is a major problem for people when they're sick. They feel, oh, poor me. Oh, what if this happens? And then they go down the dark corner of all the, the, the bad things that can happen. <clears throat> and what we're trying to do here, or actually doing, is to maintain that winner's attitude of, I can do this. I can expel that congestion. Yes, more is going to come, and I'll expel it too. And I will get tired, but if I breathe well, then I won't. Then I won't be so tired. And so Anapanasati is actually very, very good cure for the common cold.
So, what do you have to say, Laura? Uh, yes, I, uh, I experimented with the, the posture and I also found that uh, laying on the side uh, was the easiest because I didn't have to uh, make the effort to stand uh, straight uh, without uh, a back uh, support and I could breathe uh, better. And uh, so I'm going to try to experiment with the, the cleaning and uh, also try to, I, I think I see what you mean, it's, it's uh, trying to contract the lungs muscle, um, I mean the chest muscle around the lungs on a specific point so you get the like the the area cleared out. So I'm going to try and uh, play with this. <laughs> See how okay. it goes. What one more point <clears throat> about that, and that is often when the when there is congestion and feeling sick and and tired, then um, the idea is is that breathing well, breathing deeply, is painful. There's pain in the chest or pain in the lungs. I would also invite you to experiment with that to find out if there is any pain in the chest and what's what what has it you know investigated some uh, most likely with the idea of getting even more congestion out of the lungs and then breathing well so that you feel comfortable in your breathing rather than the breathing itself is hard or restrained or uh, uh, having to force it, uh, having to struggle to take air. We want to make sure that we clean things out. We clean out the lungs, we clean out the sinuses, we clean out the nostrils, everything is clean, and then the breathing is a whole lot better. Yes, Dan, Dean, you have something to say? No, okay, I, I thought I saw a gesture of I'm about to open my mouth and talk. <laughs> no, 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 no. Maybe I was talking to myself in my head, but uh, I have watched a bit of your videos. But Laurent, is it Laurent or Laurent? Um, Laurent is good. <laughs> yeah, I, I can identify with Laurent because I, I did you say you're a PT coach, Laurent? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm a I'm a boxing coach, and I heard you recently saying you're gone very quiet, but I'm quiet here in Ireland at the moment as well. So. We're in the same boat. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we can all um, benefit from doing good breathing. And that it's such a major part of the Anapanasati practice that one of the things that I still find so humorous every time I think of it, and that is, is that Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa kind of was fussed at and got into trouble in 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 Thailand many, many years ago before either of you guys were born. And the problem was, uh, the, the statement that he made was, is that Anapanasati is the only teaching that the Buddha gave. He did not give any other meditation. And then everybody got really upset because uh, in the Vasudhi Maga, they've got a list of 40 different meditations. <laughs> and so they say, well, all of these med uh, meditations are things that are associated with the Buddha. But when they actually did the research about the actual practice itself and the details of the practice, Anapanasati is the only thing that he taught. 
and that the uh, the value of putting the breathing together. Now that we've discussed it, you can you could say, well, <clears throat> how can anyone talk about practicing meditation while they're sick without talking about the breathing? Because the breathing is a major part of being sick. Very rarely will we ever get sick and have no respiration issues associated with it. It, it seems that respiration is um, a, a part of every kind of illness that we can have, which means then that we've already, always got at least one thing that we can do this healthy, wholesome to get over the sickness is by cleaning out the passages so that we can breathe well. But I, uh, it's hard for me to um, emphasize this too much. <laughs> it's so important that we uh, that I want to make sure that the students understand that getting ready for meditation, getting the breathing well, is um, uh, very conducive then to correct practice. And that's doubly true when we're sick. But then having the right attitude when we're sick. Of, oh, there's nothing to this sickness. I'll, I'll enjoy it while it's here, and I'll get over it soon enough. That, in fact, in, in automobile accidents or when people have an, an injury, maybe even a sports injury, like a broken leg or something like that, and immediately the thoughts that come to the person who has gotten that that um, injury is, oh, poor me, I'll never walk again. Or, oh, poor me, I'll never be able to use my arm. Or, oh, poor me, this is a great big disaster. And in fact, then what, what that means is most of the unsatisfying, unsatisfactory part of that uh, injury was not the injury itself. It was the thoughts that we were having about it. Rather than, oh, well, let me get to a hospital. They'll fix this arm up. Uh, lickety split. No problems here. Yeah, it's just a broken arm. Or it's just a broken leg. And so we can begin to have a mental attitude. In fact, generally, the pain in a big accident doesn't start right away because the body goes into shock. You see this actually, uh, you don't see it often in real life, but in the movies sometimes the example would be that uh, they're on the, the Roman galley that just got hit. And in the process, this guy, a uh, big bean comes down and just whacks off his right leg just below the knee. Well, if he stays there and says, oh, poor me, I lost my leg. What can I do? He's going to drown because that boat's going down. But he can get over uh, the fact that he's having trouble walking and get out of that ship. That's the thing to do is to get off of it. And, uh, and that happens in, in war when people actually can do remarkable things in spite of the fact that they're wounded because they're not paying any attention to the wound. But the, they've got better things on their mind, like staying alive. And yet after the uh, danger is finished and this guy sits down on the beach, he's going to start complaining. Oh, poor me. Oh, my leg hurts. Oh, I wish this, that and the other thing like that. And so the pain is later. 
Another example of that would be the automobile mechanic who's got his wrenches and he's working really hard in there and while, and while he's working, it slips and he busts a knuckle. And it starts to bleed and his hands are already greasy from the underside of this old, dirty, greasy car anyway, but he just keeps working because he's not thinking about the knuckle. I mean, he knows that it's hurt, but he's not interested in it. He's interested in fixing the, tr the car. After he gets the car fixed, he puts the tools down, he goes in to wash his hands, and while he's washing his hands, he takes a look at it, he starts to play with it. That's when it starts to hurt. Yeah. And that's when, oh, poor me, I'll never be able to work on a car again. And in fact, he was working on the car while it was in its worst shape. <laughs> but those thoughts will come. Mm -hmm. Thoughts of, oh, poor me, this is a terrible thing that's happened and whatnot. Uh, and so be careful of those kind of thoughts. Instead, we're going to have the thoughts of healing, thoughts of nurturing, thoughts of uh, everything is okay, we'll get over this, no problems, no worries. That's the way to deal with it, even though the body is not uh, completely comfortable. Normally what it is is that it's tired and congested. And so if we work with the breathing and getting things cleaned out, we'll fix both of those issues, both the tiredness and the congestion. So the only thing that we have to work with now is attitude. The attitude of, I'm okay. The attitude of, I'm just going to lay here and just enjoy being sick. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'll get over soon enough. I saw the uh, like the victim thoughts coming off, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I made sure I didn't fall into that because uh, yeah, especially at the beginning when you're not used to being sick. And uh, oh yeah. yeah, that's fine. There's sub there's something else about that that I'll add to it, and that is, is as children we are trained that way. Yes. Yes. Okay, how does that, all right, like my dad would tell me, oh, you're not sick, get up and go to school. So that means I've really got to get sick in order to stay home from school. Got to get really, really sick in order to stay home from school. Which means that I've got to go to the point of being sick in order to stay out of school. Where the reality is I'm an adult now and my dad's not there to tell me to get up and go to school. I could just stay at home because I'm I'm a little bit sick. I don't have to be a whole lot sick. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so we are actually in a way trained to be sick when we're sick and to feel victimized and to feel like we can't do anything and we're supposed to feel bad and, and have other people say, oh, poor me and have a pity party. Yeah, yeah you have to show that you're sick enough. <laughs> Yeah, I have to prove that I'm sick enough so that I don't have to do any of the work. Well, guess what? You didn't have to do any of the work anyway. <laughs> that was all the line that we are fed as, as children, that I could go to school and play. I don't have to go to school and work. I wish I'd have known that when I was in school. That yeah. in fact, the, the things that I excelled at at school was because I thought that they were fun and that I enjoyed doing it. 
And the things that I didn't do well in school was because my attitude was that this is, I don't need this. This is no good to me. I don't, I don't know why I have to take this course. And when I have that attitude, I'm not going to do so much so well at it. What I did then was instead of enjoying that course, I would drop it and go get a course that I did like. That's how I got through university was by taking courses I liked and avoided the courses that I didn't like. Not 100%, but certainly in that direction. I know specifically that that happened with, a, uh, with foreign language. I got into a Spanish class. I didn't understand anything the teacher was saying, so I dropped that class lickety-split. And also, they had headphones. You have to stay in the lab and listen to the Spanish all the time uh, for a couple hours a day. And that just didn't appeal to me. So I dropped that class and took a, a, a class in ancient Greek. It got so many. I really enjoyed that class. <laughs> because it was interesting and curious to me and I liked it. So this is what I'm inviting you to do is see that this, your sickness is very much like a class that you have to take and you can actually change that class from the class of, oh, poor me, I don't like this subject into, hey, I like this one. So you can experiment with your postures, you can experiment with uh, the medicines that you're taking, <clears throat> and you can experience uh, experiment mostly with your attitude to see when you feel bad mentally that the body actually feels bad more. And when you uh, ha are mentally um, in that winner's position, oh, I can handle this, then the body doesn't feel quite so bad. And this is a remarkable toy to play with to see that happening. When we're sick, we get much more information about the fact that we do have this thing called, uh, the, the term is psychosomatic. And what that means is, is that the mind directly involves with the body, that they're not separate. And so if you're feeling sick, then the mind will feel sick. And when the mind feels sick, the body feels sick too. And here they go down the rabbit hole. But if the body feels sick and we wake up and say, hey, I've got a new toy to play with. Let me go clean this congestion out. Let me go throw this stuff out and have fun doing it and enjoy being sick. And then we don't feel so sick. But that's the, that's the, the secret is to learn to enjoy being sick. It's a new toy to play with. Then you don't feel nearly as sick as you did when you hate sick. If you hate being sick, you'll be sicker than if you enjoy being sick. Yes, yes. I've noticed this because uh, it's uh, like a second or third time that I've been sick since we started uh, practicing. And uh, the, the last time I felt uh, a bit worse than this time, even though this time I had more fever. And uh, I think that's because I uh, enjoyed it more <laughs> in a way. Uh, I was not, uh, you know, like really satisfied all the time, but um, the baseline level of, uh, of you know, accepting the, the sickness. At least often it, enough that you got some benefit. Yeah, it's uh, better than last time. So, <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, I'm happy. And so recognizing that, then we'll put a little bit more right effort into the enjoyment of it. Mm -hmm. Understanding that, oh, when I actually put the effort into enjoying it, 
But when I'm, oh, I'm too sick to put any effort into enjoying this, I'm just going to feel bad and think bad. Mm-hmm. Brother, we have to take the effort to say, I'm on top of this. I can handle this. And we change that attitude through the right effort. And with that, then we actually are curing ourselves. The attitude will cure us that we don't possibly we can get out of the hospital a day or two early or even prevent ourselves from having to go to the hospital because we've got the right attitude. I can handle this. So do you have any more questions about this? This has been an interesting topic of how to practice when you're sick. Um, not specific question. I'm, I'm going to try what you recommended. All right. I'll let you know how it goes. It seems so weird. People will call and say, oh, I haven't called in a long time. I was sick with COVID. And my answer to that was, that's the best time to call. Call me when you're sick. <laughs> call me when you're sick, because then we can get over. Don't wait uh, and, uh, uh, and call me or, oh, I can't practice meditation. I've been so sick. No, when you're sick, what else are you going to do? <laughs> Except that there and cure yourself through Anapanasati. So I would recommend people call when they are sick rather than going through it ignorantly. Because um, basically when we are sick, it's easy to forget this. Because we're in the habit of doing what we do when we're sick, which is mentally feeling bad because the body is feeling bad. But practicing Anapanasati, that's just the trick for illness. Especially pneumonia. I will tell you an old story. The old story is, is that I did get sick, really sick with pneumonia. And so I was hauled to the hospital. And there they uh, put, you know, with the drip and uh, the breathing and the oxygen and all of that kind of stuff. And the next day, I want out of here. And they didn't want to let me out, but they let me out because I, I insisted I'm, I want to go home. I'm good enough. When I got home, guess what? Got sick again. They knew I would. But the second time, is when I started applying this, I recognized, oh, this was pneumonia. And the way to handle pneumonia is by removing it from the lungs. So I kept spitting up, kept breathing deeply, that when you are breathing deeply, by the way, some of that uh, congestion will evaporate and come out of the lungs, leaving the rest of the congestion congestion, uh, more more solid, um, more, more like a booger than snot. And so that makes it a whole lot easier to bring it up is by breathing well, then you can get a hold of that stuff and pull it out. And so I did that for about 24 hours. That was what I was doing. Just finding out where that stuff was and pulling it out, breathing deeply for a while and then finding some more congestion and then pulling it out. And I actually cured myself of pneumonia in about 24 hours. It can be done. (laughs) <laughs> because we keep keep doing it keep pulling the stuff out keep throwing it out and as uh we've mentioned before 
you've got COVID, that's the issue. COVID itself doesn't kill people, but uh, it does affect the breathing so much so that people die because they're not breathing. So you can cure yourself with pneumonia. Mm -hmm. You've got all these words, congestion, pneumonia, fluid in the chest, all of that same thing. And it is psychosomatic. Yes, usually, uh, I think it's uh, maybe a part of the attitude because usually we don't uh, actively try to clean it out. We kind of, uh, um, you know, um, just uh, wait for it to pass. So I'll try to be more active in uh, in curing myself <laughs> in a way that right. I you know, intentionally uh, yeah, trying it out. Well, go practice this while the uh, while you still have some COVID left to play with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sounds good. All right. So, Dean, do you have any comments or any questions to ask? Well, I, I have a lot of questions to ask, but not on COVID. Not on COVID. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. Um, well, uh, what kind of questions would you ask if you did ask? On COVID. Or in well, general. Okay. Uh, right. any, yeah. Any 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 questions at all? If you if you have a you got a little bit of time, I thought that we would give you a chance to. Uh, yeah. Well, I have about twenty minutes before I have to get the child up and get ready and head off. But um, yeah, so the last time we were speaking, Damoretto, we were finishing up and we we're going to speak about right view. Uh-huh. So could you give me, because I have a couple of more questions, could you give me the quick answer? <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll, I'll try to give you a short answer. I, I'm not. I'm not skilled at short answers. I'm sure you can do your best. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's your question about right view? Just generally speaking. Generally speaking, yeah. Just how how can I work with what right view? I know. I know there's wrong view. I know there's ordinary view. How do I put right view? into every day and all right <clears throat> the point is is that we need to change it from a noun to a verb we need to change it from a view which is more like a concept to a way of looking at stuff into actually investigating actually looking that's what right view right noble view is not a noun right noble viewing is a verb investigating uh inspection looking these are the words that we would have that um in our in our language that would help in fact the word view i think is um a mistranslation uh because we uh in order to make it a noun we make it kind of permanent like a way of looking 
or a viewpoint that we hold or a concept. But the real important point about right view is what we're looking at right now without, um, let us say, uh, putting it into a box, just looking. Gathering data, gathering more data, keep gathering data as opposed to getting a little bit and then putting it into our past and, and coming up with something. But in fact, this is what you could call confirmation bias. This is a very common term that is used in psychology. A confirmation bias means that we find things that confirm what we believe and we ignore the things that do not confirm what we believe. Okay, that would be an ordinary view. Here, what we're going to do is to look at what it is without trying to confirm whether it fits my uh, knowledge base or my um, bias or not. That it's looking. So looking at this, uh, this thought and recognizing that it's only a past thought that the most wholesome thoughts that we're going to deal with is the thoughts of what's happening right now. Now, many students, because I don't talk about how long to sit and when to sit and all that kind of stuff, they get the idea that they should be doing this all the time. And I will not tell it that way. I will say when you remember to look, that's when you look, is when you remember to look. But when you look and then say, oh, I should have been looking all along. Now you're not looking. Now you're just holding a confirmation bias that I should have been looking. Okay. And that's that's very common for meditators. Okay. Goenka talks about it when he says, never mind, start again. When the mind wanders away from the breath, never mind, start again. But generally what happens when the mind wanders away from the breath and people catch that, then they'll go into this confirmation bias. Oh, I should have been watching the breath. Oh, this is hard to do. Oh, I wish I hadn't taken this meditation class. And all of that kind of stuff begins to happen to where really what we need to do is just look. The first thing we look and we recognize is that we haven't been watching the breath. And then the next thing is that we just come back to the breath rather than ruminating about that we didn't watch the breath because that's going to get into the past it gets old very quickly and so never mind just come back to the object or come back to the breath or come back to just looking at what's going on enjoy the show to enjoy the show means you have to watch the show you have to look at the show is it safe to say that right view is the same as right attitude? They meld together, absolutely. They surely do have a strong connection. They're both on the Eightfold Noble Path. Okay. There is an interconnection, and the connection between them is right effort. Well, like I was thinking right view is more like a, a noble yeah, a normal attitude, I suppose. And like, how is it possible? How can I have a right view when I'm dealing with my partner here in the house? Or, or, or is right view just about looking at your thoughts let, and let, going out let there me stop holes? you. Let me stop you because the language that you're using is indicating an ordinary view. 
when you're talking about around the house to have the right at uh, the right view or to have the right attitude i would say no but the attitude is something that comes up just like sati and and what we're actually shooting for here is to wake up and look to wake up and look all right so it always has to do with right here right now in this instant what's what light uh rays are coming to the eyes right now not what light rays came last month or the breath that i'm having right now not last month's breath that's a that's a, an ordinary view is the breath that i had last month or the breath that i will take in the future but the noble breath or the noble view is to watch this breath okay that's the main thing about the right uh noble view is not a view it's a right noble throwing all views out and looking <laughs> instead okay i've heard a, i heard a good one i think it was yesterday that the, the buddha's teachings can be put down to one or two sentences he said that if it's wholesome do it if it's unwholesome don't do it throw it out mm -hmm. yes this is the recommendation of the buddha you will find such things in sutra number 19 in the majjhima nikaya specifically and the name of that sutta by the way is two kinds of thought so it's a dead giveaway <laughs> The wholesome and the unwholesome. Okay. Um, okay. Well, yeah. And that's how we, that's why we view, or that's why we look. We look to see, is this thought worth having right now? Is it taking me into, um, let us say with, with the COVID, is it taking me in the direction of being cured, or is it taking me in the direction of dying? And all of our language is like that. If it's unwholesome, it takes us in the direction of death, pity parties, grief, despair. And wholesome thoughts are uplifting. They brighten the mind. And so this is how we want to do our viewing, is viewing with the discrimination of, is this thought worth having? Is this a wholesome thought or an unwholesome thought? So what you just quoted is spot on. Okay. I wouldn't use that language, but it's it's correct. There are two kinds of thoughts, or two different uh, avenues or ways of thinking. That which takes us in the right direction, and that which takes us in the wrong direction. And we have been taught our whole society is based upon exploitation. The whole society is based upon exploitation. It started in the feudal times and then the industrial revolution and everybody gets put to work. And now even the women have to work. Funny thing, a hundred years ago, only a few people worked and society was wonderful. Now with all of our technology, everybody has to work and not just working 30 hours a week or 40, you gotta work many, many hours. Your wife has to work too. And everybody's put to work, right? This is because we're going in the wrong direction of being satisfied. Everybody is just dissatisfied, more dissatisfaction. 
we can't just make the, uh, an example of that is they've been buying this particular product and now all of a sudden that product just got really expensive. They can say, wait a minute, do I actually need this? Maybe I can just do without it happily. And so that would be the right way of looking at things. The old way of the view is I've always had this, I deserve this, and I want to continue to have this for me, I don't have it anymore, into, oh, well, I don't need it after all. Okay. And so this is, this is a way of understanding right view, or right viewing, is to look and to see the bright side. Always look on the bright side of life, so Brian says. Okay. Okay. Oh, at least the way I would say it is remember to look at the bright side. Okay. Look for the brightness. Look for it. As opposed to have an idea that you already know. In a video there about two weeks ago with one of your friends, he was either from America or Canada, you spoke about the cycle of status and disgrace of welcoming and then kind of rebelling, I think. Mm -hmm. I've seen a situation where bad, dishonest people are able to manipulate someone else's status with smears. And um, I'm not in a position to do anything about it just yet. But if for someone who was in that position, how would you deal with somebody smearing and manipulating their status? And maybe they could to some sense, they're kind of putting you into disgrace with a smear campaign. The first thing to do is, um, if it would be possible, is don't let the bastards grind you down. That's a Latin phrase, by the way. Um, uh, illegit illegitimate. Don't let illegitimate things grind you down. That would be the first thing. If we can't do that, then the second would be brighten up. Bring your mind back to uh, wholesome and then deal with them. Now, you might have to take a break. An example of that is let me go to the bathroom right now and I'll deal with this later. And just get away from it. Only deal with things when you're in the correct mood and the correct place to deal with it. Don't. If somebody is trashing you, don't trash them back or deal with it immediately. Go get your mind into good state. If you're not, if they if they uh, grind you down with their remark, then get out of town, leave, go away, go get some anapanasati, go get your mojo back, and then come back and deal with them in a happy state. Okay. Don't deal with people when you're in a bad mood. Especially if they put you or you claim they put you in a bad mood. Well, it's more of a smear behind somebody's back. So the person can't really fight for themselves. Ah, but they missed you. They didn't hit you. It's not you they're talking about. It's How do you know? In their own How do you know? How do you know I'm not just talking about myself and the third person? Well, the point that I'm talking about here, though, is, is that you can change. And one of the things that you can change is dodge. Get out of the way. When those uh, angry, hurtful remarks come through the air, just, oh, well, they're talking about somebody else. That's not me. 
Okay. That you're you're a moving target. Remain a moving target. Don't set yourself. In fact, keep moving, and you're not a target. The point is, is that when we stop and and try to maintain our position, we get selfish about it. Is when we get we become a target, and that target gets hit with all the slings and arrows of outrageous comments. But you are not that which they said because you choose to stand out of the way. It's not you. Okay. Why make yourself a target? It's not you. They're just talking. They're just jawboning. They're just talking. They're just uh, uh, having a mutual pity party. Not your business. <laughs> um, so, you know, the meditation teacher, Bante Villa Ramsey, who does the love and kindness. Yes. So I often listen to some of his videos as well. And Demaretto, uh -huh. he, he speaks about sometimes on his 10 day retreats that he's able to make some of his students, well, not able to make, but some of his students become a salt upon within the 10 day retreat. How can you never recommend for your students when they're in the Janus to go for gold? Because from my experience, from the Janus, I had one time I was in it for a week or so. I definitely went up to up through the Janus. I don't know how far I went, but why don't you get them to go and try to figure out in the fourth Jana what the goal is? That's not the point. That's not a goal. The goal is how do you feel right now? Now, what happens is that when you begin to start feeling really good, you begin to get enthusiastic about feeling good. The point about soda pond. Mainly, number. If I could boil it down to just one word, the soda pond is all about enthusiasm. The more enthusiastic about the Dhamma you are, then the more you could be considered or consider yourself a stream enterer. What the stream, what the soda pond means, is getting into the flood. The flood of the here now, that which is happening right now. Being in the present moment, being enthusiastic about the present moment. Okay, I hear you, okay. Damarato. However, when when people get the skill of getting into first jhana, staying in first jhana, then when they can progress to the fourth jhana, there is a method you get them it's to do. It's not a progress. It's not a progression. It's a matter of when you're in the first jhana, what objects do you take? And when you are in the first jhana, the object that you take is applied and sustained thought to keep it going, to keep it going, to keep coming back, keep having the joy, keep having the pity. But mostly it's applying and sustaining the mind to keep coming back and coming back and coming back. Once you've got that high peak of pity, you no longer keep the uh, applied and sustained thought as your object. You go for the feeling and you get really into the feeling. And as the feeling melts away, that goes in from second to the third jhana and then into the fourth. These jhanas are natural progressions of doing yeah. first jhana. Okay, yeah. okay, they are not attainments. Right, okay. Well, look, I'm, 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 I may be using the language wrong. However, like, it is a natural progression. I've experienced that myself. Now, I don't know how far up I went, 
But when people, you spoke, I heard, I heard, I heard you say it before, when people get to the floor, China, they try and manipulate reality and see the 12 links of dependent origin, origination. Is that correct? We're not manipulating reality. We stop manipulating reality. Okay. okay. Sorry, that's just a bit wrong. How, but if this gentleman... Now, here's gets what we mean by that, that when we process data, when we take in sensory input, then we process it through perception to come up with something that we understand. Okay. When we understand reality, that reality that we understand has been, been manipulated. Originally, the raw reality was ununderstandable. Now we understand it. We've manipulated it. Do you understand it that way? Okay. If you can understand it, at least in that simple way, then we can understand that by taking input and taking more input and taking more input, that we're not doing so much processing, we're not doing so much manipulation, we're not actually changing reality, we're experiencing reality. This is why I keep going back to just enjoy the show. There's a marvelous show going on called reality. Just pay attention to it. It's a marvelous show. But we don't want to have just a marvelous show. We want to understand it. We want to know the trick. We can't just expect that, um, uh, you know, the sleight of the, the hand magicians can pull a rabbit out of the hat. And we can't just applaud like a child. Oh, that's so marvelous. He pulled a rabbit out of the hat. I know it's not true, but I don't care because I like the rabbit coming out of the hat. No adults say, how does he do that? Where was that hat? Where did he hide the hat rabbit in it? And all of that kind of stuff. That's the manipulation. The reality is you just pulled a rabbit out of the hat. We don't like that. Reality is not good enough for us. We want to understand reality. People often said to me, I'm a master at beating around the bush when I'm trying to dodge questions. So are you. Because <laughs> you're not going to answer my question, are you? Not only did I beat around the bush, I beat that bush too. I got right, I jumped right on it and beat it all over the place. <laughs> but, but look, you know what I'm trying to say, Dan Marato? This... That school of teaching go for the fourth jana in their first retreat. How can you don't teach it that way? And you'd rather people to get fourth jana has nothing to do with sotapan. Break those two apart. They are okay. unrelated. Okay. okay. Unrelated. Okay. In the sense that um, the fourth. The jhanas are something that you can experience right here, right now. It's an experience of reality. It's an experience of what's going on. Sotapan is more of an attitude, and the attitude is that of enthusiasm. I want it. I got it. This is great. Let's do this all the time, or let's do it now. Let's do it again now. One of the examples would be, in fact, in the suttas, one example is when the monk is sweeping the grounds at the Wat, he's still thinking about the Dhamma. He's not so much interested in the sweeping. He's just sweeping, but he's actually uh, thinking about Dhamma. Another example is the, the mother cow who has just birthed the calf. Though she continues to graze, She'll keep one eye out on that calf. That's what she cares about. She eats because that's what you do. But what she cares about is that calf. 
So this is what the Sotapan is, the one who really cares about the Dhamma, and he wants to do it now and again and again and again. And so many so people say, oh, if I become a meditation teacher, then I can do Dhamma all the time. Or if I become a monk, then I can do Dhamma all the time. That's what the enthusiasm goes to. The enthusiasm okay. is that we only carry about care about the Dhamma. Well, what you, if you, what you're saying is correct, which I'm sure it is because I know you're a noble man. Me and Lorient then are soda pons. He's talking to you nearly every day. I'm thinking about the Dhamma all day, every day. So I'm a soda pond, So if that's the case, yeah, I would uh, I would say okay. That's not the only knowledge. That's one of seven knowledges. But we have to have that one. That's one of the big ones. That is total dedication to, not dedication, that's a bad word to use in this sense because that's a kind of a rule. No, it's more of enthusiasm or eagerness. We're eager for the Dhamma. We want to hear the Dhamma. We want to live the Dhamma. We want to find the Dhamma in everything that we do. And that's one of the marks of the soda pot. He's in the flow. Okay. Well, just before I go, I have a few minutes, Damaretto, before I go. I'm watching another good YouTube channel. Have you heard of Ajahn Nyanamoli Tiro, Hillside Hermitage? Have you heard of him? Yes, Nyanamoli is a common name. I know at least four of them. <laughs> well, there's a guy... I think they're based in the hills of... One of them, by the way, is dead, but never mind. <laughs> but, uh, what about... It's, there's another channel called Hillside Hermitage. Have you heard of it? Okay. No. Um, I don't know that they train in... Shlaranka, uh, what's the name of the word? Shlaranka, or what's the name of the country? It's the island at the bottom of India. Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka, okay. What would be the... Do you know, is there much of a difference between... They're very similar to you, Damarato. Do you know what would be the main Buddhism there, in Sri Lanka? There, there, is, there is more individual differences within a particular group like a country than there are between countries. Okay. Okay. An example of that is Catholicism and uh, evangelical Christianity. All right. Okay. Those two seem very, very far apart, and yet both of those groups will have a great deal of divergence, so that there is quite a lot of overlap. Okay. Does yeah. that answer your question? Yeah. You can't he say would, that Sri Lanka is different than Thailand because there's nobles in both countries, and there's also a lot of unnoble people in both countries. Right. He, he would be big on Damaretto. He's always talking about sense pleasures, and we have to kind of pull back from our sense pleasures, where you don't talk much about that. Well, there's a difference between senses and sense pleasures. The, sense, the way that they're talking about those sense pleasures is going to the brothel, getting drunk, um, going shopping, going to bullfights, 
He, he's a, with a ball. <laughs> These are the kind of things that would be sensual pleasures. Yeah, but he even talks about like he's a big guy. He'd be talking about our food, Damaretto, or being uh, celibate, um, even seclusion. He says we can't be, we can't, we need to be secluded. He 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 goes as far as saying, if you want to really take the pat serious, Damaretto. Yes, that's true. I talk about seclusion often. Hoping you, that you guys will start to figure it out that, yeah, that's what you got to do. He's actually laying out things that I'm a little softer on. He's actually talking to monks. And you guys are not monks. And talking to monks, yeah. That's where a lot of his videos are where he's directly speaking to a trainee monk. He's talking to monks, right. I'm not talking to monks. And I know that. I'm talking to would-be or wanna-be monks. And I'm talking to a whole lot of people who says, oh, wait a minute, I'm not sure I want to do that. But they still want the value of the Dhamma. Yeah, big time, big time, yeah. And, like, even, like, because I, like, I'm trying to pull back on my chocolate and even my coffee. But are, are these hindering my progression, Damarato? Making rules about it makes, uh, hinders your progression. The better way, in fact, I've talked to people about smoking, and it's the same thing with chocolate or coffee. In other words, when you're taking a sip of coffee, can you make a decision or the, the question, can you do the viewing right then? Do I need this sip of coffee right now or not, or can I let this cup of coffee go cold? And then later, when it is cold, I take a sip of coffee. Does this, is this coffee actually delicious? Or can I just set the cup back down and let it get colder still? The same thing with the tobacco. Do I have to light this cigarette right now? Can I set it back down and wait for a minute or two? And if I do have the cigarette lit, can I go ahead and put it out? In other words, everything has to do with right here, right now, this very moment. And your questions are about making rules about it long term like cutting down on coffee. I don't recommend cutting down on coffee. I recommend looking at this sip of coffee right here, right now. Uh, so if you're, if you're enjoying the sip of coffee, is it good to have a cup of coffee? If I'm not making those kinds of judgments. But I'm, I'm asking for your, your... You go figure that out for yourself. Go be mindful. Look. Do some right viewing. Figure that out for yourself. Okay. Look at what you're doing. <laughs> talks about right speech as well. And sometimes, I, and I think I could have spoke to you about this before. Sometimes I can't stop myself and I just spill shit. Uh-huh. I was about to do this. Let me do this. Remember to shut up. It's hard. No, it's not. It's not Me. hard. That's just another thought. It's, it's what a you're saying instead is, I don't remember as often as I would like to remember. That's more correct. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. You just don't remember. It's not hard. It's just that you don't remember. So now that means that we all, oh, we've got a new skill that needs to be developed. What is that skill? Sati. To wake up and be in this present moment. Because if you were waking up in this present moment and see this present moment, you could discern whether you're going to speak or not. It's very so quick. When you, speak. 
that that feeling of wanting to say something that he, that has no real benefit. It's just spilling for the sake of. I know. I know. Look at that. Look at this feeling. I want to talk. And then zip it up. And look at it. Rather than immediately, as soon as you feel the urge to talk, you just start talking. Now, the thing to do is when you feel the urge to talk, look at that urge to talk. Rather than acting upon it, look at it. Investigate it. Recognize it is probably not wholesome and being quiet is more wholesome. Or maybe you can change it to being whatever it was that was coming out of the face. Make it wholesome. Intentionally stop long enough to figure out, am I either going to blurb out what I wanted to say and had a feeling to say, or am I going to remain silent or can I change it to something more wholesome? That's probably going to have to wake up. You have to wake up. You have to keep waking up to it. Well, practice. Practice waking up. Practice looking at what you're doing. That's what this practice is all about. It's practice of waking up and taking a look at what you're doing and then making some change. Taking the effort to make the change. And then congratulate yourself. Look at that. I can just stay silent. I don't have to say anything. Well, he does say when you do uh, harness your speech, you do get a joy. Do you get some joy in harnessing your speech? Yeah, and it does right. Mind. Oh. My, what a good boy am I. And keep my mouth shut. <laughs> well, I look, I quick, I have one more question before I go, but I do have to run. Oh, we already had the last question. Go ahead. <laughs> I really enjoyed your video two days ago. You were talking about Pitti and Suta. There was Suka. There was a group of you. There was three or four of you. And and in real time, I was in the gym and I was having really good practice in the gym, and I was able to bring up some pity. Um, and do you know what? I I got that feeling of winning where I nearly jumped out of my own skin. It felt like a, a dopamine kick. However, after that. I think the dopamine kick kicked off my mind. When you went crazy. back into bad feelings, right. Okay, yeah, so now that you know you can do that, go do it again. Well, why would that have been? It's always very temporary. That really, really strong hit of dopamine is a very temporary kind of thing, and we like it a lot. People go to football games so that they can stand and cheer when the guy gets a touchdown. The guy who made the touchdown, he throws his hands up and he cheers, but they don't stay cheering. Within five to ten seconds, they're sitting back down. It doesn't last. So, so are, uh, uh, well then, is it dangerous to have that kick so Damarato? Because I felt like jumping out. Absolutely. Absolutely, that's the winner's thing. Keep doing it. Enjoy it. Get yourself so, back into that high state. You can so do it if it lasts, let us say that it lasts three seconds. Doing it once a minute, and then spend 57 seconds of something else, but part of that 57 seconds is getting prepared to hit that high note again. Well, like what I'm trying to a say is, player doesn't hit his highest note all the time, and in fact, it wouldn't even mean anything if he did. No, he's all over the scale. 
Okay, so we had we hit those high notes and keep hitting them, but not constantly. Just like once a minute will do to feel really good, to take a really good breath. Oh, how that was so good. But Damaretto, for the rest of the day, my meditation wasn't so good because my mind was just all over. Well, never mind. At least you could see that the mind was all over the place. But I think Next it's because it, the mind won't go. It's things keep changing, Dean. Things keep changing. Skills get developed. You think that because you had one experience one time, that that experience is going to be exactly the same every time, which means that if you have that experience at 10 in the morning, then your mind is all over the place at 2 in the afternoon. That's not necessarily going to happen every time. Okay, okay. So it's a skill to be developed. Right. Okay, so it's not a dangerous it's not dangerous to have that dopamine kick. That was a good thing. Absolutely. Everybody lives for that. If people had no dopamine kicks, they'd all die. I tell you they how good pity party all the time. I tell you how good the feeling was. There was a gentleman in the gym. And he had a tattoo of a line, and I went over and pulled up his T-shirt, and I said, "I see you got a nice uh, tattoo of me as a joke." But that's how I felt like a winner. I really did. Yeah, good. Go back and practice more, and get it again. Get it again. Allow yourself to feel really good. That's what the first jhana is—is that hit of pity. But it has to be built upon success, and the success has to be built on satisfaction. And the satisfaction has to be built on confidence and comfort and safe and secure. So we practice those things over and over again, and pretty soon we'll hit that high note. Okay. And we keep practicing like that. Well, come here. Thanks for taking the time to call or to take take the call. And Lorient, nice to meet you, and we'll see you again. Nice to meet you as well. <laughs> Thank you. We'll see you later, Dean. Go clean things out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and someday, Damarato, it would be really nice if you could uh, directly answer my questions. <laughs> Instead of beating down. Uh, actually, uh, I don't understand what you're saying. I really don't. Okay. <laughs> No matter. Thanks. Bye 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 bye. We'll see ya. Bye.